back to the Commercial Property Investors Podcast. This is where we aim to give you the knowledge and confidence to move from residential investment into commercial property investment, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This week, we're going to be discussing whether property size matters. I've always tried to help fellow investors whenever they reach out, but over the last week or so, I've had a higher volume of 20-minute and hour-long one-to-one calls with lots of aspiring commercial investors. It's a great source of reflection and inspiration for me. I get a lot out of it. Some questions are common, though, and others are more unique to the individual and what it is they're going through at that particular time. And I've always wanted this podcast show to be about topics and life stories that new and more experienced private investors can relate to. Not every episode is going to be your favourite, of course, but some will hopefully give you that nugget or a piece of inspiration to push you on to the next step so you take full advantage of this great investment class. There's lots of mystique around commercial property investing, but it is really just like any other discipline. You can learn it and there's a formula rather than just the randomness that it appears to be at first approach. Some of the conversations have reminded me how scary it was and that only by speaking with people who are starting out do I remember some of those feelings I had when we bought our first commercial investment. But I have to say, though, if you are constantly pushing for bigger deals, those feelings don't ever really go away. And if they do, then it might be that we're becoming a bit too complacent and may trip up. So one of the questions I really wanted to focus on uh, with this podcast was a question that I've had from a few people, which is what size of project should I start with? And the thing is, the question isn't always as clear as that. They don't always express it in that way. Sometimes it's phrases like, I'm not sure if we should really be going for that building or I'm not sure if it will work with all this space in our area or simply I'm scared I might mess up and pick the wrong project. So today I'm going to answer the bigger question. Does size really matter when it comes to doing a commercial deal, particularly if it's a commercial multiple occupancy or a CMO? And the answer is absolutely. In terms of square footage or cost, size really does matter particularly if you want to scale up your overall property portfolio and cash flow. That's one of the biggest reasons I got into commercial was because of the cash flow element. And with bigger CMO lot sizes and a concentration of resources in one location rather than lots of different places, it can help with economies of scale and the ability to add value. But more on that later. Now, just because I talk about CMO a lot doesn't mean that it's the only show in town. You can pick whichever strategy you wish, but don't forget your knowledge of residential will help you more than you think, and you can move straight into some of those more advanced strategies, and that's what we did. Admittedly, it was by accident rather than by design. Our first commercial ended up being a CMO. But the best size of your next project, or even your first project for you, will be completely different to every other investor. So here's the really important bit to listen to. There is no defined size that's everyone's first or second project. It doesn't have to be anything in particular. If you're starting out, don't fixate on buying a £1 million building or a 30,000 square foot potential multi-let. Take a deep breath. Reflect on the size of what your first residential investment was. Was it huge? Or was it maybe a project you could get your hands around and understand reasonably easy? You can do the same thing in commercial. The format for residential property investing techniques and strategies is very similar to commercial. Think about it. So, buy to lets, yeah? You can buy single lets in commercial. 
okay, there will be lots of advantages of commercial over residential, which I have to say, such as things like uh, contract or lease, which can be much longer, uh, higher yield, plus there's often less maintenance or no maintenance issues due to full repairing and insuring leases. But in all intents and purposes, this is the same strategy that a lot of residential investors start out with. It's buy to let. Then investors move on to maybe buy, refurbish or redevelopment and then rent and refinance. And often people call this the Burr strategy. That works perfectly fine with commercial. You might even add an extension or make an alteration to add that value, to redevelop, to create more income. And some may stick to that formula for a long time. In fact, some may never alter it. Some people in residential, all they do is buy to let or the Burr strategy. And it's a brilliant strategy. There's nothing wrong with that. But some then move on to other strategies, including things like HMO or houses of multiple occupancy, and then maybe multi-family apartment buildings or blocks of flats. It can be exactly the same in commercial. You can start to scale and enjoy the benefits of having a concentration of resources in one or two locations rather than all over the place and benefit from the increase in economies of scale. But some want to build an income fast. And another strategy people use in residential is the rent-to-rent model. And I have done that, albeit for a short period of time, but I have done that in commercial. And it can be a way of getting a project started whilst you're waiting for the deal to actually complete. But more on that in another podcast. A lot of large serviced office companies out there actually don't own the real estate they operate from. And they really are operators. That's what their business model is. They operate service space. And in fact, they actually rent the space they're in from a landlord and then sublet. So, great example, famous example, WeWork. They famously became the largest occupier in New York City. And their model is rent to rent, just on a very large scale. Some of you will know what's happened to WeWork. And I'm going to be interviewing somebody on the podcast fairly soon about that. It's going to, I'm really looking forward to that episode. But others often move on to short-term lets and the government changes and guidelines and things about tenants and tenancy agreements are becoming more onerous and some people are turning to short-term lets. Strategies are often called serviced accommodation. You're working with virtual platforms such as Airbnb. In terms of a commercial offering, serviced office space has been around for quite some time and is a hugely growing sector. And again, it can be on a rent-to-rent model and often is in city centres because the buildings can be so expensive and so large that actually serviced operators will rent them by maybe one, two or three floors out of maybe even a 50-storey building or more. The challenge with this model, though, for me, is that we've built value through increasing the income of our properties. And although the extra income for income's sake is great with the rent-to-rent model. You can increase your cash flow and earn some money quickly. The real impact is on the value of the real estate itself. And if you don't own it, you can't benefit from that uplift. And finally, there are a few other niche activities, of course, around retail and resi combinations or buying land for redevelopment and change of use. But If we started to list every strategy for residential commercials, we could be here for quite some time. So the point here really is that actually a large number of strategy options which are 
um, in commercial are very similar to residential. So don't get too hung up on whether you feel you don't know too much because you probably know more than you think. And different types of commercial, such as office, industrial, leisure and retail, do add a layer of complexity, I grant you that. But the strategies for deriving an income from those property types, those commercial property types, is more similar to residential strategies than most people would actually say. But back to scale, and in particular, CMO properties. So, measuring a project in terms of size is, of course, you know, in the eye of the beholder. And for us, you know, um, one of our key investing criteria for CMOs is the square footage. So it's about the size. And over time, I've noticed that a building of around 10,000 square feet works for us, where we are in terms of geography and demographics. So it has become one of our key investment criteria. But I wouldn't say that that's necessarily going to fit where you are. If you're in another part of the world or another part of the country, the demographics and the price and the geography might work differently. And you'll need to work out what that optimum is. I have to say that number has increased now as we've grown and honed our offering. And as you scale, you realise that actually some of these smaller projects take up almost as much time as the larger ones. And do bear in mind, the closer you get to city centres, the higher the price of this size of property will be. However, with the increase in price comes an increase in the amount of money clients are willing to pay for the space, of course. So you can reduce your overall size requirement and still make the numbers work. But why 10,000? So at that level, the properties have enough scale for us to put a full-time member of staff in there, looking after customers and facilities on a day-to-day basis. Now, you don't have to run your business that way, and that's not a problem. I'm just telling you how we do it. Anything smaller than that 10,000 square foot, and the numbers don't stack up so well, because at the end of the day, the person's wage will not alter really, with the building size. Eventually, if it's a really large building, you might want two people. But if you've got a 1,000 square foot or a 10,000 square foot, one person will still do. But the cost of that um, person, that overhead, is shared out amongst all the clients. So obviously, the bigger the space, the more the share of that cost. And the model is more service than it is a managed offering. And you might decide you don't want staff, and that's fine, and would rather do it a different way. So, for instance, you might use technology to manage your building from off-site. This can work well, particularly with smaller properties, with perhaps fewer, more self-sufficient clients. So it might be things like door access, remotely setting up door access, perhaps some video cameras, a telephone system that goes back to a central location. There are things you can do to make technology work better for you. Things like this should come out of your market analysis, though. Do the competition offer fully serviced or managed or not even that? What are the gaps in the market and what can you do to make a unique offering? It's not one size fits all. Here are some of the reasons why scale matters. So you can have a wide offering for clients. So as they grow, you can keep them by offering more space, i.e. different sized units. And we've had great examples where people have come in, taken one or two person offices, they've grown, taken another couple of offices, then they moved into bigger space, then they moved to another building, and then they've taken some industrial space. And just as their business has grown, they've stayed with us because we've had the flexibility to offer them what they needed at that each stage of their business growth. So it can be really... Um, fulfilling really watching some of these guys and businesses grow 
But having that mixed offering will allow you to do that. And with scale, it gives you the opportunity to have different sizes and types of space. The second thing is you can start to add more stickiness through the introduction of things like food and beverage or a gym or even just communal areas that people can use free of charge, the kind of breakout spaces. And if you've got a really small building, that the cost of giving that space with no rental on it can be quite prohibitive. Whereas if you've got a larger building, giving up some areas for common use can really A, add to the stickiness, B, add to the value or perceived value from the customer and helps with all those lovely things about networking, businesses meeting each other, all that stuff, which I think I've mentioned before in a design podcast. But it, it, clever use of common layers can really add value for your customers. But larger buildings will give you more opportunities to do that. Another aspect to think about is meeting rooms and other income opportunities come from scale. So you can react to customer needs. So for instance, um, some of our buildings have 100 meg fibre lines. Uh, one of our buildings has a gigabit line. Fibre lines that produce a much faster internet than that. But if you've only got two people in a building, putting in a gigabit line at quite a lot of money per month is not really going to work. But if you have scale in a larger building, everybody can share that cost. And you may be able to make a little bit of additional income from it. The fourth thing is that your resources are concentrated. So rather than buying 30 by to lets, whether that be commercial or resi, dotted around the country with 30 different boilers and 30 different roofs and gardens and all these different things, you'll have it all under one or two roofs and can control more scale with less resource. So think about that in the houses. If you've got 30 boilers, because uh, you've got 30 houses, and every 10 years, say, the boiler needs replacing or maybe less, it certainly needs servicing every year, you might, over a 10-year period, have to go through uh, two or three boilers a year to replace. I'm not saying you won't have to replace commercial boilers, but if you've built in a bit of redundancy with your boilers and you have maybe two, then you've always got a flexibility to do ongoing maintenance repairs without affecting the customer experience. But it means there's only one boiler or one boiler room to deal with rather than lots and lots of different ones. So it can keep your costs down. And obviously, as I say, 30 roofs or one roof, the roof's going to be bigger in a commercial multi-let. But if you can just picture the fact that having them all in one address means that you and your team, whether your team is subcontractors or people directly working with you, can all deal with those properties on a much more concentrated manner. It's, it's a great, great um, benefit of having scale. And then if you think about it, with scale, a team member on the site, if you can afford to put a team member on that site, means you can really understand your customers. You kind of have your finger on the pulse. So with some of our centres, where the um, front of house staff have those relationships with our customers, often they can tell just through those conversations, how well their business is doing, whether it's potentially going to grow, maybe whether it's having some challenging times. Have they getting, they getting lots of phone calls and mail and visitors? Has that slowed down? You can learn quite a lot about businesses when you're um, effectively living with them. And it gives you an opportunity to foresee either A, growth potential for that business or perhaps some struggle and they need to downsize and you might be able to help facilitate that on a very polite and mature way, of course. It is 
a real benefit if you have a member of staff there to be with those customers all the time. So in terms of CMO, whether that be serviced office offering or industrial park or even a, a retail parade of shops or mixed use, scale absolutely counts. But you can work up to it. You don't have to do it all right now. The most important thing here is just get started. Back to the one-to-one calls for a minute. Some people are concerned that there can be a lot to learn with commercial and they've become apprehensive. Shall we say that this market, they perceive it as complicated and that there's lots of things you have to get right. Therefore, lots of things you could get wrong. But remember the comparison to residential. You can work up to the HMO or the houses of multiple occupancy. Starting is the most important thing. It overrides every other factor because without starting, you'll never get anywhere. One size doesn't fit all, of course, and it's about you and where you are right now. So some of those conversations, I think people are comparing themselves with others and wondering whether actually they can add value to these buildings or whether they can do a good deal. And it's about where you are financially, emotionally, your skill set, and just mentally, you know, are you scared? Are you worried about what everyone else thinks or is doing? It, it comes down to lots of things, and don't be scared of that. That's okay. So if you need to start small and work your way up, do so. It doesn't need to be complicated. Like residential, the less complicated does mean less risk. Sometimes the return, of course, is less, but that's how it works. If you want to do CMO, work up to it if you can't do it straight away. Get a single let or just a simple small redevelopment project and break it up into maybe three or four units. You don't have to put a member of staff in. You don't have to do all the stuff I'm talking about. There's lots of ways of peeling the onion, as they say. And then you can move on to the next one. Because once you've done that first one, you've got some valuable experience, some income, and from a finance point of view, you've got credibility. So the trick here is not to compare yourself with others and to work out your own steps towards scale, if scale is what you want. Commercial, for me, gave us the best opportunity to scale as I could see it. And it's, it is a long-term strategy. Not everyone treats it as a long-term strategy. Some people try and do flips, which is another thing you can do. But with long-term strategies, it can give yourself time to grow. You can build up a plan of how you're going to get to that end goal. And if CMO is your target strategy, then great, but you don't have to start there. You don't have to start right there. It might be that a single let is your first step on the ladder. Think about it. A lot of property investors start with a single let residential property, a buy to let or a single family home. Then over time, as they learn the rope, so to speak, they move up to those bigger projects. So they may move on to buying larger units and then multi-family units or HMO projects, houses of multiple occupancy. In other words, multi-tenancy properties. That's what they move on to. And that's exactly what we're talking about. It's just with commercial. And yes, there's some other legislation and things, but it's not really any more onerous than residential. And a couple of words of caution. Obviously, don't try and go too fast, which I think is what I'm trying to say here. Don't feel you have to go a million miles an hour. But don't sell yourself short if you feel there's a knowledge gap. I don't think anyone really listening to this podcast is at a standing start. Most of you have done some kind of property development before or residential buy-to-lets or have some sort of experience of the industry. So I would suggest that you probably know more than you think, 
but I appreciate sometimes looking in from the outside, it can be a bit cloudy. And that's just the mystique that the commercial market's built up, isn't it? So we're now moving on to a larger set of investment criteria, as I said. And for us, 20,000 square foot, maybe even 30, is where we really need to be aiming for our business. But that's not what you have to be doing. And you can work up to that if that's where you want to go. So I hope that's really helped this week. I've spent a bit of time, as I say, going through these one-to-ones, listening to questions and challenges that people are going through. And I want to try and share some of that with you over the next few weeks. But this one I thought was really important because it felt it was holding some people back. They felt that they had to go and work at a bigger project and whether the size was really important of that first project. And it's just not. Just go and buy something. Go and get started. That's my message here. So I hope that's really helped. I I really appreciate your comments and your feedback you've been sending me. It's been great. Um, Some of the things I've been hearing about the influence the podcast is having on people's decision-making and property journey, and even just the fact that it's opening up some people's eyes to what commercial can do is um, really great to hear. I'd love it if any of you have the chance that you could perhaps pop a review on iTunes or anywhere like that. That would be really fantastic. Anything on these platforms really helps with growth and it helps us get visible for other people to pick up what we're talking about. So thank you for listening wherever you are in the globe. I know there's listeners all over the place, which is really exciting. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to speaking to you next time.